This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the NBA Morning Deuce. Game day, baby. Ooh, God. Love game day. You love game day, especially when there's an extra day off. That's unnecessary. We want games every day, NBA. Make that happen. Make it happen. How pumped. I mean, it's weird, right? 3-1. Normally, Alex, 3-1, you're like, all right, it's over. I'm good. We don't need to do anything. But I'm still pumped for this game. I'm still pumped for tonight. I feel like it's going to be a good basketball. I can see it on your face. You're like radiating. Joey's pumped for this series. And I, it, deep down, you believe the Heat are still alive in this thing. I think they have a chance. I do. Unlike me. Yeah, I think it's over. Yeah. I th- <laughs> you're, uh, it's a role re- there's a role reversal here. Yeah, something's, <laughs> something's happening here. And well, I mean, you're like going with, with logic now and i'm not <laughs> it's flipped yeah it's not as fun for me either i hate being you're also like you're also a self-proclaimed miami heat heel you that's you you claimed that that's and then true. i started to I embrace proclaimed. it yeah so but um i i just think it's i think t- i think the heat are gonna win game five i just have this feeling they win game five which makes it it just makes it more fun no matter what because then we get more basketball. Mm-hmm. But the question is, you look at this game tonight, what what can they what do they do? Like how do they win, right? So I was sort of been racking my brain on how do the Heat make this a series? And it's obviously game to game. Uh first things first, the update as of yesterday afternoon, Goran Dragic still doubtful. Which I still am not sure what that means because he was doubtful last game and he warmed up. Bam was doubtful and then all of a sudden he was playing. They upgraded him to questionable. So I still think, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it first thing in the morning, I still think there's a chance Goron plays. But the doubtful designation, not great. Not great. So can, to me, and I, it might sound simple, and it's probably harder than just saying it because we saw what happened last game. Jimmy Butler has to be in this game. He has to come out in this game, not even like game three where he took 20 shots, but he has to come out with a mentality that he's taken 25 shots in the game. I think he has to do it. And there's like stats that I even have that will sort of back up, you know, the idea that they could come back in this series. If he, you know, he in the in the losses he took thirteen shots, seventeen shots, and seventeen shots. 
In the game they won, he took 20. Again, they haven't lost when he took 20 shots in this year's playoffs. He just ha- Especially if they don't have Goran Dragic, he's going to have to be aggressive. And I, I just don't get... Last game, I didn't blame him. So it's not just on him. It's on Spo and it's on the Heat in general to figure out ways to get him the same looks that he gets, maybe higher pick and rolls or different screen angles or whatever it is, if if AD guards him again, but he's got to shoot. Completely agree. Um, the other thing, the other thing that happened in the only game they've won in the series is Anthony Davis got in foul trouble. So I mean, it seems pretty obvious Anthony Davis is going to guard Jimmy Butler again because it worked so well. But that points even more to Jimmy Butler has got to be aggressive. If you can get Anthony Davis in foul trouble, if he gets. 3,000 in the first half, I, I think the Heat's chances of winning that game basically double. Like, Jimmy Butler has to be aggressive, one, because we've seen that's how their their offense does its best is when he's not only being aggressive, he has to be effective. But uh, if they can get Anthony Davis in foul trouble, then we're, we're talking about the, the Heat are alive, in my mind. Yeah, that's 100% right. And it's a great point because – it just seemed like maybe because he just maybe because it was unexpected last game, he just didn't know. And, and I give more. I would like to. I will err more on the side that Anthony Davis is just he's Anthony Davis. So anyone being guarded by Anthony Davis is going to have trouble scoring or even going to getting to the rim, getting around him. But I got to think that now with a game under his belt being guarded by Anthony Davis he will at least make an attempt to go at him and draw the fouls, like you're saying, which, right, that that was, I mean, that, that first quarter of game three, he had two fouls. He didn't take a shot, and he f- turned the ball over. I mean, obviously, they have to keep being aggressive on him defensively, make him turn it over and all that. But, yeah, getting him in foul trouble will be huge. Here's the thing is, like, we've mentioned it before. Like, coming back from 3-1, it ha- it's ha- happened a bunch, right? I mean, historically, not in historic context, not a bunch, but it has happened, particularly mm-hmm. recently. But if you look back at the teams that have come back from 3-1 and the guys who led those teams back from 3-1, right? This year, Jamal Murray did it twice. In the final... Legend. F- legend. Legend, Jamal Murray. By the way, look out for our uh, our best moments of the bubble episode after the finals. That's going to be a good one because I think people have forgotten how good this bubble has been because, I mean, it's understandable. It's just kind of what happens. But it's been absurdly great basketball from start to finish. There's been some like weirdly historic things have gone on, so we're going to do that. But anyways, Jamal Murray. But in the final three games of each of those series against Utah, 36 points per game on 23 shots per game. 29 points per game on 21 shots per game against the Clippers. When LeBron, and this is, he's not LeBron, right? But versus the Warriors, in the final three games when they were down 3-1, 36 a game on 27 shots a game. And there's a theme, right? Steph Curry, in that same playoffs against OKC, they came back from 3-1, 32 a game on 22 shots a game. And you go back all the way through every single series where a team has come back from 3-1, the best player has taken over or at least asserted himself to be the main guy on the team. And the only time it, it didn't happen was the, the Suns in 2006. But they had six guys 
on their teams averaging double digits. Oh, who'd they, yeah. uh, who'd they come back on? 3-1. Sons. The Lakers. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, I mean, Steve Nash averaged 21. Boris Diaw averaged 18. Sean Marion averaged 18. Tim Thomas averaged 15. Barbosa, 12. Raja Bell, 12. So, but that also goes to my point of, like, if you're not going to sort of fundamentally change the way you play offense if you're Miami and go to a D'Antoni style offense, which which is what that was, and you're going to stick with what you do, then Jimmy has got to be more certain. And, and Spolstra has even said, he has said, we don't care what he thinks. We know what he needs to do. We know he needs to be aggressive. Like he, he Spolstra said that in the press. But as far back as even 1979, or excuse me, 1968, the first time there was a 3-1 comeback. John Havlicek, 26 points on 21 shots in the final three games. I mean, it's just, it's going to have to happen if they want a chance to win. Good news for Heat fans is we saw him enter a different stratosphere in game three. So he he's on the cusp of, you know, really being able to take over the series. I mean, we, we saw him completely dominate and win game three. Now, is it too much to ask that he does it three more times? Probably, but it's, it's, Within the realm of possibility, Jimmy Butler is that type of player that can single-handedly win a game for this team. And, uh, yeah, the Joey's data is right there. He's, he's going to have to do it if they're going to um, pull this off. I don't think – and, I and again, I said after game three, he doesn't have to have 40. He doesn't have to have 40. Like, he doesn't have to do what he did in game three because that doesn't happen. It's, it is in the – stratosphere of top five finals games of all time, right? It's right. It's hovering right around that area. He doesn't have to have a top five game of all time every night. They only lost by six in game four, but he's got to be more. I mean, if he can, he's averages, if Jimmy Butler comes out and averages 30, which I think is a realistic expectation of a max player in the NBA finals, or at least be aggressive enough that you can score 30. Like, put yourself in a position to be able to score mm-hmm. 30 points. Then they have a, a real shot. And, uh, and he's averaging 27, by the way, in the finals, but that's skewed by a 40-point 40, 40 40 burger in there, yeah. Um, what about Bam, though? Bam didn't have a great game, and we know the uh, the, the neck is an issue. Um, with Anthony Davis shifting over to Jimmy Butler, wouldn't you like to see Bam be more aggressive? I mean... The Dwight Howard thing hasn't really worked. He, I think he only played 12 minutes last game. So Bam has a smaller defender on him most of the time. I'd really like to see him be super aggressive the rest of the series as well. Yeah, I'm torn on Bam because, um, I, sure, yeah, he probably could be more aggressive. But I also, I'm just not sure, like the way the, the Lakers defend it just seems like a bad matchup for Bam offensively. Yeah. And like I said, if Jimmy's if Jimmy Butler is going to take 25 shots, the ball's going to have to be in his hands more. And in, when the ball's in Bam's hands, it limits what Jimmy Butler can do offensively because he's not a shooter. So when Bam is creating for shooters, I mean, the, there's the dribble handoff action that he does, and that gets Jimmy going, which they probably need to do a little more of that. You know, a two-man game, like we said, maybe him and Bam doing a little bit of a two-man game. Um, but, yeah, maybe more aggressive. I would be more—I I, I think I would like—and 
he he looked terrible on the defensive end last game, but Kelly Olynyk, I wouldn't mind seeing play more than 12 minutes. Because like you know, you got a guy who had 24 and 17 and then has I think four points last game and they lost by six. So again, he wasn't great on defense, but they still held him to 102 points. So, and I know that that's with Bam playing 33 minutes, but like I said, in game three, they didn't, they, their offense, the, their de, the Heat's defense was great then too. So yeah, Bam being more aggressive, I'd be more concerned about, can they figure out, in terms of guys that are not named Jimmy Butler, can they figure out a way to get Duncan Robinson more shots? He scored more points in every game in the series, which is interesting. He went like 0, 9, 13, 17. But he still only took seven shots last game. So you got to think, like, can they figure out a way to get him shots? And those are my main things. Jimmy, obviously, if you get Goran Dragic back, then it changes. But under the assumption that you have no Goran, Jimmy personally needs to take it upon himself to be more aggressive to score. And then as a team, which I think they've tried, so maybe there just isn't really an answer yet. How do you get Duncan Robinson more looks instead of banking on him possibly going to the line six times, which really is not what he does? I don't know. What, I don't know what the answer is. Right. I mean, it's clear the Lakers are super keyed on him. I mean, as they should be. That's going to be kind of the interesting thing for him down the road is like he's not a secret weapon anymore for the Heat. You know, it's very clear what he can do. It's amazing. That, that thing that's going to be kind of problematic for him moving forward. But eh, I don't know. Unless is he it, really takes a next step in terms of uh, uh, getting his own shot, which he's not bad at. I, I know well, he's, but like, he's a guy that can get his own shot. Yeah, right? and he's he's in his second year in the league. And, I mean, look at, look at what a guy like J.J. Redick did, you know, who came into the league as a flat-out catch-and-shoot guy who was great playing off screens, but couldn't – I mean, he could dribble a little bit to his right. But now he is, I mean, J.J. Reddick's an underrated ball handler, shot creator, passer, all that. And mm. I think Duncan Robinson has done a lot of that. He's done it in this series, actually. He had a couple plays in game four where they closed out to him. He got to the rim or he drove and kicked. Like, he has expanded his game. He has gotten much better, even from the time they started the bubble. But his strength is the shoot is the shooting. So how does he figure out? How do they figure out a way? He's never going to be a guy that you want creating his own three point jumper unless it's a one or two dribble thing. So if you're the Heat, you got they have to figure out how to get him more looks. Not sure what the answer is, but that I think could be a key. I also saw this stat today. This is crazy, which you would not think of this when you think Miami Heat. According to cleantheglass.com, Miami has committed an NBA high 16 fouls on three-point attempts in the playoffs. By comparison, the Lakers have committed 10 fouls against three-point shooters. During the regular season, the Heat committed 39 fouls on three-point attempts in 73 games, tied with Brooklyn for second most in the NBA behind. Philadelphia. Um, so... I mean, don't not, don't foul. Not people. good. Yeah, well, I mean, don't don't don't. <laughs> not good. They, I mean, their defense has been great the last two games, so I'm not really worried about that. But you you know, if you foul three point shooters, that really does. <laughs> I mean, every point matters in a six point game. 
That's why I was furious for Laker for at Alex Caruso for getting a tech. Like every point matters. So being obviously defending without fouling, I don't know how many times they've done it in this series. And I don't even know if it's made an impact. I just thought that was an interesting stat. I definitely think it's it's big because I think I mentioned last time the score was within five points for like eighty percent of that game. So, you know, when you're trying to make that last little push to jump ahead, <laughs> fouling a three point shooter can make all the difference. And the other thing is that they reference this that a lot. I think the percentage of time you actually block a three-point shot is like, I think it's under 5%. Like, it's so rare to block a three-point shot. I know you you want a hand in the guy's face. You know, it actually speaks to probably how um, aggressive or dedicated the, the Heat are on defense, but it just can't happen. You cannot foul a three. I think it's one of those inexcusable. I think it's it's up there with Alex Crusoe getting a tech. Not as egregious, but you just it's, can't it, well, foul a three-point shooter. You can't it, do it. It's up there in terms of being egregious when you do it th- that much. This much, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, I think part of it has got to be the fact that the Heat are one of the best paint defenses in the NBA. And they play, they pack the paint in so much that they're our most daring teams to take threes. So it's almost inevitable that a couple times a game you're going to get a closeout. And I'll also say this. I feel like this year I've seen more fouls against three-point shooters than I've ever seen because of the way the rules are. It's impossible. And the way guys are just, just you know, falling but after that, any the, shot. The whole, like, not thing, or not closing out within a shooter's airspace thing, that rule. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, maybe I missed something, but, like, I, I didn't... I, it hasn't been that long since I was working in the NBA, and I know you, we, we did closeouts, and you had to close out a certain way, but you still wanted to close out. Like, the way they're at having to close out now, you can't you can't even get near a guy. So you're really not— yeah, you have to go, like, across him instead of at him. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to, you have to close out, and I, you can't see it, but I'm making, like, a, a running motion. <laughs> I'm learning a lot right now. The, the, no, the, you're supposed to close out with choppy feet, and you're— and to, and you're supposed to like instead of like lunging forward, you're supposed to close out and jump straight up, which means you have to make the athletic move to get out to the guy fast enough and close enough to where you can jump straight up. It just is unrealistic. Like it just seems it's very rare that a guy makes a perfect closeout. That's why it gets pointed out a lot on broadcast too. Like look at the way they're closing out because it just doesn't happen. But I feel like this year they've called that flagrant foul and the foul on the shooter a lot more often. But you still got to figure it out. You can't foul three-point shooters. Um, as long as far as the Lakers go, what they need like in turn, to close it out in this game, role players, if their role players play, you know, if you get 52 points from all the guys not named LeBron and AD, you're probably going to win. Mm-hmm. That's and, what we were harping on coming into the series. That's yeah, what they, that, you know, that was the weakness. And, and, and uh, that's what they got last game. 25 from KCP and Danny Green and then 27 from their bench. It's pretty... And, and the thing is, I don't know if you're Miami, you probably live with it, right? You, you live with the possibility that that could happen. And you kind of, and you continue your game plan. Because like I said, 102 points is, is great. I mean, I'll take 102 points if I'm if I'm defending the Lakers. But you know, if you're the Lakers, if if those guys continue to like, if KCP keeps playing the way he's playing, Kuzma has been 
way better than Kuzma. Like he's been really good in the series offensively. So if their their role players continue to score, if LeBron can, I mean, if LeBron doesn't turn the ball over the last two games, if he's not a turnover machine, the series might be over. Yeah, it's crazy because that might be <laughs> that might be the worst part of the Lakers' offense now is just LeBron's turnovers. Everything okay. else has been so solid. Yeah. So limit LeBron. Obviously, it's weird to say that LeBron limit your turnovers, but yeah, like LeBron limit, and that's part yeah. credit to the Heat. Part part of that is the Heat's you know defense, but and then eighty. I mean, got to get eighty. Figure out a way to get AD going because I, I guess he got going a little more last game, but not much. They they just haven't, you know. The Heat's the Heat's defense has just been really good on him. I don't know if they can get him going, but if he gets going, then it's it's probably over. I think so. Yeah, and man, the the task is so huge for the Heat. But I think since the beginning of this podcast, I'm swayed a little bit back toward uh, you know the Heat have a chance here. You've laid out some good statistics. Um, Right, I think yeah, I mean, I, I, any it's it's the bubble, man. Yeah, it's the bubble. Anything is anything is possible. I I, I think they're gonna. I think they, I think they're gonna win Game Five. I, I I just do, or maybe I'm just hopeful, and I'm letting it sway my thought. Which is, wow, that's surprising. You 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 rarely get hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Be the, careful. I Be mean, careful, man. <laughs> what, what, what in 2020 has given me reason for hope other than a potential Miami Heat Game 5 win? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yep. it's one of those things where you got to hope for something. Uh, well, Lakers are minus seven favorites. Are you setting me up? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, just putting it out there. I'm, I'm taking the heat with the points. For I'm sure. taking the heat to win. I yeah no, I, you should put that. I'll, I'll place that bet for you. Okay, I, I will. I'll place that bet for you. Joey's okay. in Florida. He cannot legally place a bet down there. I don't know um, if we should be. Yeah, I guess I, I talk about it all the time, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, probably gonna get some good odds there. Do you have the money line in front of you? I don't. But you had another another number that you wanted to throw. Yeah, out. the the. I was curious. Because of how confident I am that the Lakers will not blow this 3-1 lead, I went and looked up the series odds. Um, a $100 bet on the Lakers to win this series returns $2. <laughs> so Vegas is confident. A $100 bet on Miami to come back and win this series gets you $2,000. So I want you, Joey, you to put that bet for me. I'll, I'll send you 100 bucks For Miami to win win the series? Yeah, why not? Okay. That's well. You answered my question. I was going to say, if you had to bet a hundred dollars, do you go the safe route and maybe get and get two bucks back? No, sounds like you, no you're, you're rolling the dice. Yeah, no way. I was going to mention that you'd have to be a legitimate psycho if if you <laughs> to, to place a hundred dollars to, to win two to get two dollars. <laughs> Come on, like I, I can't even believe there's a price on it. I feel like, like somewhere along the line of that bet, there's like a processing fee or something where you're losing two dollars. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Absolutely, yeah. you're doing a hundred. It's a hundred to win a thousand. 2000 to win 2000 so 20 to 1 yeah yeah you like that matt you like how i did that that was amazing yeah uh yeah no question i'm probably doing it i'm gonna do it and then because look think about all the great things that could happen 
100 to 1 or or 20 to 1, I bet 100 bucks. I win 2,000 bucks and there's a chance I get a Tyler Hero tattoo. Wait, actually, I think it's 200 to 1 odds, but I'm not positive. Right? No. 100 bucks yeah, to win 2,000? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 20 to 1. Don't question my, my math. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I'm not really good at math. Um, yeah, I would t- I'm taking that. Taking all of it. I, I don't know if I believe it, but it's it's pretty good odds. Although, Three actually, games. now that I think about it, I feel like it would be more. It's pretty rare to come back from 3-1. I know. That's why I'm not going to bet on either scenario. That <laughs> <laughs> well, also betting's not the smartest thing. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm pumped. Hopefully, Goron's back and we get a, like a full strength heat team. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Monday. Big things coming from the show, by the way. That's a, that's a tease. So look out. Be on the lookout. Big stuff coming Monday, NBA Morning Deuce. The show's not over. Just thought I'd throw that out there because Monday we'll either be talking about Game 7 or we'll be talking about Lakers as NBA champions. So a couple other things to talk about in the in the association. Lawrence Frank was voted executive of the year by his peers. People are not happy about it. When did that vote take place? It had like, to be why right. are we to, voting? Had to be right. Why are we? Mm. It makes it a little more legit that it's the other executives voting for it. I guess. It's not like a bunch of media guys who have bias or don't know. It's the other but execs. Wh- like, Although I still disagree with them because, well, I guess if they would have won a title, how can you disagree? So. Dude, I, I I understand, you know, the MVP for the 82-game season gets voted on ahead of time, the sixth man, blah, blah, blah. Why is executive of the year not being voted on after the season? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. And also, why is Rob Palenka seventh? Yeah. the hell? That's crazy. Well, maybe because LeBron is kind of the GM of the, <laughs> the team, too. Maybe right. Well, that's how it always goes, right? That's why, like... Yeah. That's why, like, you know, Vogel wouldn't get coach of the year or Spo or, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if they voted for it after the season, you'd probably get – Pat Riley would probably get it, right? I think so. And, well, I think you'd have to, yeah, because of these, these 13th overall picks. I mean, it'd be one of these two, picks it'd that, be both of these guys. I mean, Riley or Polinka, I wouldn't argue with either. Mm-hmm. Because the Lakers – Lakers got shitted on a little bit for how much they gave up for AD. And and it, which is funny because think about how much the Clippers gave up for Paul That's what George. I'm, say- <laughs> That's what I'm saying and it didn't work. Like it clearly didn't work. I know. Who I didn't see the full voting. Like who who are the six guys that did a better job than Rob Palinka this year? Obviously I mean I bet you uh, I know Sam Presti's in there. Definitely Sam Presti. I bet Danny Ainge is in there. Um, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure. Obviously, it's Lawrence Frank. I'm sure Pat Riley's in there. Um, who else? I mean, what other teams like put together like great rosters this year that weren't great already last year or good? 
Donnie, Did you mention Daryl Morey? Or is... I don't think he would have been in the mix. Yeah. I definitely Chris, think Chris there Paul is like better, a, like Chris a lot Paul of buddy-buddy going on amongst GMs, so maybe people just toss votes to their friends but and stuff. But who cares? I, I, I wonder if the if executives even care about this award. I don't know. I mean, maybe. But the winner, do, the winner does, and everybody else is like, yeah, that award doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, speaking of awards, Montrez Harrell won the NBA Hustle Award, which apparently has been an award since 2017. Jesus. Who sponsors that? Like uh, Roll Aids or something? I don't know. It's just so, like, do we need that award? I, I didn't even know it was an award. Did you know it was an award? No, never heard of it. All right. Well, that's all. I mean, that's, I guess that's all I got to say about that. It should go to TJ McConnell or somebody. Why? I mean, well, especially not... because he won six man. So why does he need two awards? Yeah. yeah. Who votes? I couldn't even find. I was searching all over the place i couldn't find even i couldn't even find who votes on it it's weird it's weird that neither of us have ever heard of the award and it's been around for three years like <laughs> i'm telling you that it's never come across my social media or any i've never heard of that award yeah weird yeah that's true and i guess that's probably why we should stop talking about it uh <laughs> last last bit of NBA news, which I had in the rundown yesterday, but I don't think we got to it, which I think is appropriate because we're talking about executives. The Knicks are reportedly interested in trading for CP3. And Where, where'd that come from? Did that come from anyone? I've legit? seen it all over the or? place. Yeah, I've seen it from some from different sources, but like they're talking like multiple draft picks and Kevin Knox. Which Kevin Knox people are down on, but he plays for the Knicks, so I wouldn't give up on him yet. I also wouldn't give t- multiple first-round picks for Chris Paul. Like I have faith in Leon Rose and Worldwide West that they're going to do something decent with this team. If your first move is to give up assets for a 35-year-old, you're doomed. With a bunch of guaranteed, a ton of guaranteed money left, right? Like he has like uh, but on the two other years hand, left on that deal or what? I will say this. On the other hand, Chris Paul has played in the Western Conference his entire career. So who knows? Maybe in the East, if you yeah. get him a, a, a decent running mate, maybe he could do well. I mean, what what do you think the Thunder would have done in the East this but if year? That, if that's your reasoning... Yeah, that's true. It would have been, but I'm saying if that's your reasoning for going out and getting a 35-year-old with a huge deal... Don't do it. <laughs> just like just the Knicks need to build this thing from from the ground up. You know, I, I'm not saying they're not going to try to l- sign or trade for some great players. But why a 35 year old? It's just backwards to me. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But um, again, this is just like the Oladipo thing the other day. Probably. Who knows if it's even it's, true? It's totally unfalsifiable. But it would be classic. It would be classic for the Knicks to go make this huge splash, bring in these guys who, you know, two super agents who are so connected in the sport. And the first thing they do is bring in Chris Paul. (laughs) And Knicks fans, he'd be a legend. People would love him because he would be really good for them next year. Oh, yeah. He would be really good for them. Mm -hmm. But you would be hamstringing yourself for the future. Like, wouldn't make sense 
yeah. all right last I mean, yeah that oh go ahead okay sorry i was that would make them a playoff team which would be interesting so maybe that's it the would philosophy but like team. you're not gonna you're not gonna win a championship with chris paul it's and that Knicks roster like so why not just yeah. let this thing develop i don't know hopefully you hit on your draft picks what a weird enough what? enough with this i'm sorry to, to extend it <laughs> yeah no we'll see i guess we'll find out in the offseason um last thing i just wanted to mention this it says we don't talk wmba much or we don't talk about the wmba shout out to the storm was that who won yeah i think they won the title brianna stewart sue bird actually that's a cool story because brianna stewart did like tear her acl or her achilles or something last season and then came back it just shows you like the dominant women in women's basketball are so dominant it's it's crazy like if you're the best it doesn't matter what happens to you you could play for 30 years and be the best like diana tarazi but anyways this story i was i saw this to, what were you gonna say i'm just stunned sue bird is still in the league i thought sue bird was like oh yeah no it's crazy <laughs> but okay um but this story I saw today, I don't know if you saw this. This has nothing to do with basketball. So yesterday, or like early yesterday or late Wednesday, the WNBA, like Players Association, tweeted out like t- saying that Cappy Pondexter, and the only, and when I, I worked in the WNBA for one year, Cappy Pondexter was, was a baller. She was one of the best players in the, in the WNBA. You, if you even remotely followed it at the WNBA ever, you probably heard of her. She's she's a little older now. I think she played at UConn, but um, they were they tweeted out that she was missing, and that they were like praying for her or whatever, and that whatever. And then a few people said that there was missing persons report out for her and and all this. So then today it comes out that she was arrested on Tuesday for battery didn't have an ID and wouldn't tell the police what her name was. So they booked her as Jane Doe. Then she was released Thursday. Since she was released, a friend of hers told a reporter she's missing again. And they legitimately now don't know where she is. (laughs) Crazy. That's wild. Isn't that abs- isn't that insane? Like it's, I think she's an active player. Super worrisome, yeah. No, it's I mean it's crazy. I'm bringing it up because people should know about this story. Like yeah, that's people insane. should I, I, I know. Didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't hear it. You know, our massive worldwide fan base, our audience, Mr. the guy in Pakistan needs to know Cap in case he sees her. Mm-hmm. Cappy Pondexter is missing people. I th- we think. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I just thought I'd bring that up because that's an insane story. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read into that. Yeah, read into it, find out, and if you find out, maybe if you find out where Cappy Pondexter is, we could like break the news here. It could be mm-hmm. our first like story that we break. That'd be big. It would be big. I I probably shouldn't be joking about this. It seems like a very <laughs> serious thing, and I probably shouldn't be joking. I'm not joking. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, this is. Wild. I hope they I hope they find Cappy Pondexter. I hope they find Cappy Pondexter and she's okay. Apparently, she's not okay. She needs help. But just wild. 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 Weird stuff going on in the WNBA. 
So <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. I, I'm just I'm yeah, wondering I where she is. That's all. Or I got. You're probably wondering where I was going with this. I have no. Yeah. I'm not. I have nothing. I don't have anywhere to go with this. It just was a crazy story. Um, all right, that's it for today. Listen, guys. Big things. I, I mentioned it earlier in the episode. There's a few things going on with the show. Good things. Big things. Big future ahead. Look out probably when you wake up tomorrow, today, or maybe a little bit later. Definitely after this episode comes out. Got a little announcement coming about the future of the show. Pretty excited. Alex, I know I could see it in your face. You're pretty excited. Extremely excited. I, I'm, I'm itching to just spill the beans right now. Yeah. But we, I can't do it. Few things, few things happening, a few things coming. So just keep an eye out for that. And uh, one way or another, we'll see you Monday morning. Have a good weekend, guys.